Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. All right. Um, if you could please open your Bibles to the book of Mark. Chapter 1, there are paperback Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible, it will greatly help you to have a Bible open in front of you. Sorry, I didn't check the page number on that. My apologies. Uh, If you find Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, just turn over one more book to Mark. It will be Mark chapter 1. Let me first of all give thanks to everybody who came out yesterday for our work day. Much appreciated um, the time that you took to come and help beautify our property and care well, be good stewards for uh, the building and property here. We had a great time. So thank you so much for the work that you put in. Um, yesterday, the Lord blessed us with great weather, so it was a really good day. So thank you again. Thanks to the deacons and, and Brenda for organizing that for us as well. Um, also, just a, a quick reminder, we did start our Exploring New Life class today. There is still time to join that. If you'd like, you would have missed today, but we can catch you up. No problem. There's uh, six, seven classes So if you'd like to join that class, that will be continuing next Sunday, 9 a.m. in the conference room. Um, This past week, week I googled um, who was the most famous person in the world today and um, was expecting to find uh, Elon Musk maybe showing up or maybe Donald Trump, um, Oprah Winfrey, Taylor Swift, maybe I had all these kind of names in mind, and and the person that came up as the most famous person in the world today was Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. (laughs) I mean, that was a surprise. I did not expect him to be labeled the most famous person. Apparently, he's more well-loved than I realized. It just got me thinking about fame and how fleeting fame is and how it just comes and goes. I looked up uh, most famous person in the 1950s, John Wayne. Some of us are old enough to remember John Wayne. Some of you may not have heard of John Wayne. Um, 1940s, um, um, Clark Gable, most famous person in the 1940s. There's somebody that probably uh, many of you have probably never heard of. Isn't it interesting how someone in a particular decade can be considered the most famous person in the United States, maybe the most famous person in the world, and yet a few decades go by, and they're largely forgotten. Here's a person who has not been forgotten. Here's a person who never will be forgotten. A person I want to present to you today who is the most famous, most influential, most significant, most world-changing, important person who has ever lived, Jesus Christ. His is a fame that never goes away. I mean, just think of it. When you pick up your phone to schedule something in your calendar, you will look at the calendar and you will notice the numbers at the top of your calendar and it says 2022. Well, what does that mean? That means 2,022 years since Jesus Christ was born. You cannot put something in your calendar without being reminded of the importance of Jesus Christ. How about the most popular holiday? Maybe in the world, certainly in the United States, Christmas. Well, just take off the M-A-S, the second syllable, and what do you have? 
Christ. The most popular holiday in the world centered on Jesus Christ. How about thinking about the Bible? Do you know that the Bible is the greatest selling book in the history of the world? It is estimated that the Bible has sold five billion copies. So to put that in perspective, let's think of Harry Potter. So very, very popular book. The Harry Potter books have sold 500 million copies. Now that's a lot of copies, no question. 500 million copies. But 500 million is 10% of 5 billion. 10% of the number of copies that the Bible has sold. And who is the Bible about? Jesus Christ. I want to suggest to you today that while there are many people that we should give attention to, whether it be Plato or Einstein or Abraham Lincoln, whoever it might be, all people worth knowing, worth studying, there is nobody who deserves your attention, your consideration, your inquiry, and I would say your full-hearted devotion than Jesus of Nazareth. And so we are beginning a new sermon series here at New Life called the Servant King. And that description, Servant of King, refers to Jesus. We're going to begin a study of the Gospel of Mark. And so that's why I ask you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. There's a sense in which all the Bible is about Mark, or excuse me, about Jesus. All the Bible is about Jesus, but there are four books especially in the Bible that are about Jesus, that, that they give us a, an account of His life, and we call those books the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospels, they're, they're kind of like biographies, they're, they're a little bit different, but they're kind of like biographies, and all four of them give us um, this kind of biographical description of Jesus. And so Mark, of those four Gospels, was the first gospel written. So the earliest of them, we believe that Matthew and Luke took a lot of their information from Mark and then added some other things that they had discovered. That's why Matthew and Luke are longer than Mark. So Mark is the first gospel written. It's also the the shortest gospel, so it won't take us quite as long to get through Mark as it would the other gospels. Um, But we believe that Mark was written Um, somewhere around maybe the late 50s, early 60s in the very first century. So this would be about 30 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus. It would be like reading something today about something that happened in 1990. That doesn't really seem that long ago, does it? Uh, Certainly we would expect that an account of something that happened in 1990 would be able to be given to us with accuracy. And so it is a strong Um, component of the trustworthiness of the Gospels to understand that they were written so very early, so close to the time that Jesus actually lived, died, and was resurrected. So we're going to give our attention here in this sermon series to the book of Mark so that we can learn about Jesus. And I would suggest to you that there is no better way for you to spend your Sunday mornings than to be here to join together as we give our attention to this book. And by the way, this is um, a practice of ours here in our tradition. We we like to preach this way, that is, find a book of the Bible, start in chapter 1, verse 1, and just move through the entire book. 
and just take whatever chapter comes next. And so that's what we're going to do. If you want to know why we do it that way, you can go to our website. There's an article about the Servant King, and there is a link that you can go to that will uh, give our reasoning for why this is a good way uh, to preach. Expository preaching, we call this, just going through the Bible. So we're going to start at the beginning here, and God willing, work our way through. So let's begin. If you're able to stand, please do so now. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Holy Spirit, come open our hearts, open our minds to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. There's a lot to be said about, you know, background information about Mark. I think that'll just kind of come out as we go through. But let me just say here to begin with uh, is kind of an overview that Mark is divided into two two sections, two parts, really. It's pretty easily divided in that way. The first eight chapters are about who Jesus is, that is his his identity, and the second eight chapters, roughly, are about what Jesus did, that is, we could say, his his mission or his passion. And these first 11 verses are just just a prologue, just kind of an introductory section to introduce to us who this person of Jesus is. And uh, this person, worthy of all of this time and consideration, has has to be properly introduced. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about today. It's just introducing Jesus. Let's see how it is that this gospel introduces this most important, most famous, most significant person. First thing we see is, is this, that Jesus is introduced to us by the Scriptures, the Scriptures themselves, that is the Old Testament Scriptures, introduce Him to us. So let's look to the text here. Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what Mark says here. Now, so already we need to pause and just think, what, what does this word gospel mean? Because actually it can be understood in two different ways. Um, we can use the word gospel to refer to a, a kind of writing, kind of like a like a genre of writing. That's what a gospel can be. Mark, actually, in writing this, he's kind of an innovator because there was no 
uh, literary genre quite like this before Mark wrote. He, he kind of invented this, this new way of writing where it, it's, it's a biography, like I said, but it's not like modern-day biographies because modern biographies, we expect that pretty much every detail of a person's life will be shared. But as we know in the Gospels, we don't get every detail of Jesus' life. There's a good portion of his life between the time he's a kid to the time his ministry starts that we just don't learn anything about. You wouldn't find that in a modern biography. So that's why we don't want to say these are biographies. They're Gospels because they're giving us the story of Jesus' life, but the writers have a very specific intent. They just want to share the important things that you need to know so that you can believe in Jesus. That's the whole intent that they have an agenda for sure, and it is that you would repent and believe in Jesus. And so that's the purpose, biographical information, but not exhaustive. So Mark kind of gets this started. Matthew and Luke and John follow with their gospels. Those are biblical gospels. We believe they belong in the Bible. There are also other gospels that came along and were written, the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of Philip and the gospel of Judas. Upon examination, these have been determined unworthy of inclusion in our Bible. We don't believe they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, but nonetheless, they fall in this category of gospel. So that's one way to look at gospel. It's kind of a genre. But the other way to think about gospel is that it doesn't refer to a, a literary genre. It refers to the content of the writing. And in fact, the word gospel actually means just very simply good news. That's what gospel means. And if you've been at our Christianity Explored class, you've heard me belabor this, but this is very important. It's very important for you to understand that the gospel, Christianity, is not good advice. It's not God's way of saying, here are a bunch of things that you can do to live a good life, and if you do the best you can, maybe God will love you and accept you. That's the way most religions work. That's the way most people live. But that's not gospel. Gospel is not good advice. It's not directions to you. It's good news. It's telling you something that has happened, an event that has been finished in the past. This is history we're talking, something that God has done. In particular, if we look back to verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what Jesus has done in the past. It's not about what you do. Gospel is not about what you do. It has nothing to do with what you do. You have to respond to the gospel, but the gospel does not call you to do anything except belief and open your hands in faith and receive what Jesus has done. So it's not good advice, it's good news. Good news about Jesus Christ. Who is that? Jesus. That's a, a word based in the Hebrew Joshua, <clears throat> which simply means Jehovah is salvation. That's what Jesus means. Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is all about salvation. The word Christ that follows Jesus there, that's not Jesus' last name. You wouldn't look in a phone book and see Christ, Jesus' phone book. Most of you don't know what a phone book is, but um, <laughs> dating myself there. But uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a word that means anointed one. So this is really saying Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the one who has finally come in fulfillment of all of the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament. And then we have this reference to Jesus as the Son of God. And so this is so important. 
for us to see because this really is what Mark is about. Mark is going to try to prove to you that Jesus is the Son of God. That, that's his main intent, and, and we can kind of see that. You see the way Mark is written very carefully, but spoiler alert here, I'm going to go to the very end of the story, but um, if we look at Mark 15, this is when Jesus has died on the cross, and there's a Roman centurion who stood facing him and saw that in this way he breathed his last, and he said, truly this man was the Son of God the last one you would expect to make that admission, a Roman centurion, someone responsible for putting him on the cross. And he goes, yep, this guy is the Son of God. And so that's how Mark concludes the gospel, and that's how he begins the gospel, and that's what he's trying to get us to understand. So, uh, distinctives of Mark here, um, it, it's a book of action. It moves ahead very quickly. One of the most common words in Mark is the word immediately. I think it appears 37 times. Immediately, it's just constantly pushing forward. It is a, a book of action. It doesn't settle down and, and allow uh, or record Jesus' extended discourse. It just kind of moves ahead from one event to the other. So, um, so Mark goes on here in, in chapter 1, and he immediately refers to Scripture. So that's why I'm saying Jesus is introduced by Scripture. And he says here, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And so, he, he quotes here, he's got this quotation, verse 2, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, that's actually a combination of two prophets. Uh, first of all, Malachi, who said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. But it's also referring to Isaiah, as, as Mark says here, in Isaiah chapter 40 says, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So um, Mark is just referring to Isaiah here because he's more of a well-known prophet than Malachi, so he doesn't mention Malachi as well, but we see uh, information from both of those prophets included here. But notice what these prophets are saying here. So these are prophets who wrote centuries before the coming of Jesus. And so these prophets are saying that there's a messenger that's going to come one day. And, and that messenger is, is not actually Jesus. There, there's someone coming before Jesus. And he's a messenger, and he's going to prepare the way before me. That, that's God speaking. God's saying there's a messenger that's going to come and prepare the way for me to come. Same thing in Isaiah 40. It's going to happen in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a way for who? For God. A messenger is coming to open the way for God to appear. And so that's uh, how Mark kind of translates this in verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the who? Of the Lord. Okay, Let's go back to verse 1 again, beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a man. So the messenger is coming to prepare the way for God to come. And yet the one who is coming is, is a man. What, what do we do with that? How, how, is, is it God or is it a man? I mean, which is it? Is this a contradiction in the Bible, like they say? Well, no. What's happening here, what these prophets are saying is that God is coming one day, and He is going to be introduced by a messenger, but what you all probably don't know 
And what has not really been revealed until this day and age, as we can look in the Bible, is that God is coming as a man. The God-man is coming. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is coming. It's not just God. It's not just a man. It's the God-man. What we're talking about, somebody who is utterly unique. We're talking about someone who is totally unparalleled in all of history. Not just a smart man, not just a great man, the God-man is coming. And John the Baptist is the one who is this messenger who is sent before to prepare the way, kind of announce his coming. I mean, whenever you see the President of the United States for the State of the Union address, uh, do you remember how that happens? There's always someone that comes out of the doors and stands there very regally and says, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. And then in walks the president to much uh, applause. That, that person's kind of playing a role like John the Baptist. He's, he's a forerunner. He's, he's preparing the way. Or like when you watch uh, the Oscars, you know, there's always someone that stands up and does the reading and tells about the film and everything like that, and then introduces the winner. When, when there's someone of so-called greatness coming, it is appropriate that that person is properly introduced and that's who John the Baptist is. And there is no one more worthy of being introduced properly than Jesus Christ, the God-man. So the whole book of Mark is, is basically asking this question. Who sees this? Who gets this? Who understands this? Who of you has eyes to see this? Who of you has ears to hear this? The whole gospel is just showing us people just trying to figure out who Jesus is. And right here at the beginning, based on the Old Testament scriptures, we're seeing Jesus being announced, introduced to us as this very unique Savior, God and man. But who gets it? Who believes it? Do you get it? Do you see it? Do you believe it? Maybe you're not sure. That's fair. That's good. That's fine. Let's go through Mark. Let's go through Mark together. And let's see if you come to see who he is and come to see that he is worthy of your worship and devotion. Jesus is introduced by the Scriptures. So, secondly, there's another way that he's introduced. Kind of already hinted at this, but he's introduced by the prophet. This prophet is John the Baptist. John, that's not the, not the John who wrote the Gospel of John. Okay, we get sometimes confused because people have the same names. This is not the writer of the Gospel of John. This is John the Baptist. Spoken to us here in the New Testament, but actually he's more of an Old Testament prophet, really. He, he's in the same class as an Isaiah or Jeremiah or, or especially an Elijah. John the Baptist is the last of the Old Covenant prophets and he is coming to announce that things are changing and we're moving into the new covenant. The old covenant is coming to an end. The new covenant is about to begin because the Savior has finally arrived. And now we see these kind of details given to us in verses 4 through 8 about who John is. So let's look at this, this guy, interesting fella, John. Uh, let's think of John's person, first of all. And what we find is that John's kind of strange. A little bit strange. Verse 6, John was clothed with camel's hair. 
When's the last time you saw somebody walking down the street in camel's hair? We see people dressed in a lot of interesting ways today. I've not seen anybody in camel's hair lately. Uh, he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Why are we being told this? <laughs> what, uh, how could this be, could be relevant to us? What, what John is doing here, the reason is this is given to us is because John is very consciously and intentionally presenting himself to us as a prophet. That is someone who's been appointed by God with a specific message authorized by God so that he could speak on God's behalf. And probably what John has in mind in his decision to dress this way is 2 Kings 1. Ahaziah was a king at the time. He said to the people, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And the king says, I know who that is. That's Elijah. That's Elijah the Tishbite, because that's how Elijah dressed. And so what John is doing is just taking the dress and the kind of person of Elijah and saying, I'm considering myself to be the same kind of authoritative spokesperson as Elijah was. And in fact, Jesus in Matthew 11 says this, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah, who is to come. So Jesus is saying that John is kind of a second coming, so to speak, of Elijah. And John apparently is, is conscious of this, and so he just completely embodies it. This is John the Baptist. He, he is, he, he is going to devote himself totally and completely to this task of being a prophet. He is dominated by his sense of call. He doesn't care what anyone thinks of him. He knows that God has laid a call on his heart, and he is going to do it faithfully. And the price that he's going to pay is that people are going to see that he's a little bit weird. And friends, the, the truth is, thankfully, uh, you don't have to eat locusts to be a Christian. It's true but you better get ready to be regarded as a little, maybe, weird, a little bit out of step. I would suggest to you that the more you are devoted to Jesus and His kingdom, the more likely you're going to find yourself out of step with the ways of the world. And this is John in his person, totally embodied his call as a prophet of God. But the second thing we see here about John is we notice that he is a preacher he comes preaching. He's John the Baptist, yes, but he's a preacher. Look at verse 7. He preached, it says. It says something that he preached, but if you go back to verse 4, notice what it is. He is proclaiming, baptizing in the wilderness, John came, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John preached, and what characterized his preaching was these two things, repentance and forgiveness. You must repent, and there is the offer of forgiveness for any who would come to Christ for mercy. There's, there's both sides of this. Um, sometimes you hear preaching, and sometimes preaching is all repentance and no forgiveness. <laughs> 
You know, it's just all law, it's all what you got to do, it's all judgment, it's all negative, and there's just no, no grace at all. Sometimes you hear that kind of preaching. On the other hand, there's also preaching which is all grace and forgiveness and no repentance. It's all mercy and there's no law. It's all kindness and there's no responsibility to obey, to suffer, to sacrifice, to die to oneself. Those are two forms of preaching that are out of balance. John's preaching is in balance. He says, call out to God for mercy and he'll save you. Yes, and at the same time, you must repent. You must turn from your sin. You must have a change of life. You must adjust and reorient the way you think about life in this world if you are to be a true follower of Jesus. And so John brings this message in his preaching, Charles Spurgeon says this, if, if men do not understand the law, they will not feel that they are sinners. And there is no healing a man until the law has wounded him and no making him alive until the law has slain him. So church can be this simultaneous experience. You feel a little guilty, you feel convicted, you don't really feel that good, and then you hear the gospel and you're lifted up into the heavens as you reflect on the grace and kindness of the gospel. That, that's a healthy, balanced experience of someone sitting under the preaching of God's Word. So John's a preacher. And then the last thing we see here is something about John's purpose. John's purpose. He's John the Baptist. His purpose is to baptize, but it gets a little more complicated than this because there's actually two kinds of baptism mentioned here. There's water baptism, first of all, and so you see that in verse 5, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him. They're attracted to this man's repentance and forgiveness preaching. They're going out to him. It's kind of a revival going on, and they're being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So this is a reference to a water baptism, the kinds of baptism that we see practiced in churches all the time. Um, this uh, would have been regarded as very peculiar in this time because these are Jews who are coming out to be baptized. Uh, baptism was not commonly practiced. In fact, it wasn't practiced at all among Jews at this time. If a Gentile decided to become a convert to Judaism, the Gentiles would be baptized, but, but, but not the Jews. And so when John comes here baptizing the Jews, this, this would have been just unheard of. This is just a radical step. And it's radical because what John is saying is you Jews out there who think that you're right with God just because you're Jews actually is not true at all. You need to confess your sins and you need to be baptized. And so to a typical Jew, this could be quite offensive. But nonetheless, under this preaching, they're coming out and they're receiving the sign of baptism. But then there's another kind of baptism here, not just a water baptism, but there's a spirit baptism being referenced here in verse 8. John says, I have baptized you with water, but He, that is Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's called a spirit baptism, D different kind of baptism. That There's an outward baptism, water, poured, dunked, however you want to do it, water that is uh, given to the recipient. That's an external baptism, but then there's this internal baptism. 
that every person needs to experience, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul speaks of here in 1 Corinthians, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. I don't think he's talking about water baptism there. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. It's a baptism in the spirit, friends. And so, there's a, a distinction that's being made here, which is, which is very important, friends, and that is this, that, that the external um, ordinance of baptism, receiving water, is, is a good thing and an important thing, but the more important thing is not what happens to you externally, but what happens to you internally. Being a Christian is not something that happens outside in, it's something that happens inside out. It, it, it begins in the heart. It, it begins as Jesus comes and changes your heart and causes you to be born again and your heart is made alive and now you have this new affection for holiness and for the kingdom and for God's Word as being born again. Friends, to be baptized outwardly and not inwardly does you no good. To be baptized inwardly and not outwardly is a bit of an anomaly, but we can fix that. We can get you baptized, but that's preferable to being baptized outwardly and not inwardly. And a lot of people, unfortunately, in the church, they think, I'm right with God because I was baptized. I'm right with God because I'm on the membership rolls. I'm right with God because I'm Presbyterian. I'm right with God because I was born in a Christian family. No. You're right with God if you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has done a change in your heart, and now you have a new outlook, and that's, that's necessary. These are both important, water baptism and spirit baptism, but if you've got to choose one or the other, you've got to go with spirit baptism, and that's what Jesus does, not John. That's what happens when you place your faith in Him. So, this we learn about, about John, John's, John's person, John's preaching, John's, John's purpose. And, and then we see, I already quoted this, but, but we see that Jesus says this, you know, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. So, you know, we're talking about famous people here, right? People who are really well known. What Jesus says, no one greater than John. But look at what John says in verse 7. After he preached, saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. So Jesus is saying, John is the greatest. And then John is saying, I'm not even worthy to untie that man's shoe. I mean, that's the lowest form that any person could take to have to bend down and tie a person's shoe. And John says, I'm not even qualified to do that for Jesus. That's how great Jesus is. That's how mighty Jesus, that's how famous, that's how important, that's how significant Jesus is. That much greater than the person who Jesus himself says is the greatest born among women. Friends, there is, there is nobody like Jesus. There is nobody greater and more majestic than him all in history, and there never will be. I love the way D.A. Carson put this illustration once. He said, I'll just kind of personalize it for, to, to, for myself here, but imagine that I uh, was invited to be a guest speaker somewhere, and, um, you know, the people didn't know me, so somebody comes and introduces me, and the person sits down, and then I stand up to preach or whatever, and I say to the people, I just want you to know something, that that person you just heard from is the greatest Christian alive. And you know why he's the greatest Christian alive? because he introduced me. 
He's so great that he got to introduce me. That's that's what's being pictured here. The, The reason that John is so great is because he introduces Jesus. That's just how much greater Jesus is than John. And therefore, how much greater he is than everybody else, because John is the greatest born among women. There's nobody greater than Jesus. There's no, he's, he's a better king than David. He's more humble than Moses. He's a better theologian than Calvin. He's more merciful than Mother Teresa, a better preacher than Billy Graham. He's more interested in justice than Martin Luther King. He's smarter than Stephen Hawking. He's holier than Muhammad. You cannot improve upon him. And that's why it's worth our time to go through the book of Mark and learn about this Savior. And so Jesus is introduced by the prophet. And then lastly, we see Jesus is introduced by the Father. Jesus is introduced by the Father. And so we see that in these remaining verses, 9 through 11, where we see that Jesus gets baptized. So look at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. He came from Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was brought up in Nazareth. So you might notice right here that we don't have a birth narrative in Mark. We don't hear about Mary and Joseph and the wise men in in Mark. That's in Matthew and Luke. Reason why, again, Mark, he just wants to move ahead. You know, it's not that he doesn't believe those things happen. He doesn't, not that he doesn't believe they're important. He, he's just not wasting any time, so he just moves straight ahead to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But Jesus comes from Nazareth, and we find that he is the one who gets baptized, and this ought to raise a question right away, right? Why in the world does Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, the baptism that's being practiced here is for repentance and forgiveness of sins. But Jesus has no need to be forgiven of sins. So why is he being baptized? And I think the answer is this. Matthew gives us some information in chapter 3. He says he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. So here is Jesus fulfilling all the requirements of God on our behalf. Our salvation is not just based on Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. It's also based on his life and his full and complete obedience to the Father. And so he's being baptized to do everything that the Father requires. But I think another reason why is because He is seeking to identify with you and me, because we are called to be baptized as we come to know Jesus. This is His way of identifying. He's not a sinner, but He identifies with sinners. And so this is Jesus' way of just kind of getting near to us, becoming like us in every way possible so He can represent us as the Savior of humankind. But there's also something interesting, I think, here. If you look at these elements of the baptism, um, in um, verse 10, it says, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and then a voice came from heaven. When's the last time you can remember a place in the Bible where there was water, there was God speaking, and there was the Holy Spirit? Does that jog any memories? That should take you right back to Genesis 1, right? Genesis 1, 1. There's there's the waters of the deep. There's the Holy Spirit hovering above the waters, it says. And there's God speaking. Let there be light. He speaks through creation. And so what we're seeing here is that this inauguration of Jesus' ministry is like a new beginning for the entire world. 
Genesis 1 was the first beginning, but we ruined that in our rebellion against God in the garden, Adam and all of his descendants. And now Jesus is coming and saying, it's time to start over. I'm going to fix everything that you guys broke. I'm going to make this world right. We had one beginning, now there's a new beginning. There was one creation, now there's going to be a new creation. There's an opportunity for anyone who comes to Jesus to start again. That, that's part of the significance of this baptism. I think we're supposed to think something of creation in Genesis 1. But we also have uh, just a, a pretty clear depiction of the Trinity here, right? When He came up out of the water, that's the Son, that's Jesus, God the Son. Um, we have this uh, Spirit descending on Him like a dove. There's the Holy Spirit. And then we have a voice coming from heaven, and that's the voice of God the Father. God the Father speaking, the Spirit descending, the Son being baptized in the water. That's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. That's what we baptize, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's being pictured here for us. But look at what the Father says. So my point is Jesus is introduced by the Father because it's the Father who's speaking here about His Son. And He says, a voice came from heaven, that's the Father, and He says about Jesus, you are my beloved Son. Remember, this whole book's about Jesus, the Son of God. The Father is confirming this. And then He says, with you, I am well pleased. Th those are such sweet words, friends. For God the Father to say of His Son, with you I am well pleased. Do you know why that, that's so special? The, the reason is this, because when you put your faith in Jesus, when you become a Christian, when you decide, yes, I am a sinner, I need a Savior, and I believe that Jesus died for me to pay the penalty for those sins, and I believe He is raised from the dead, I'm going to put my faith in Him, that's becoming a Christian, the Bible says you're united to Him that you're, you're one with Him. The Bible even says your life is hidden with Him. And in fact, there is such a close connection between the Christian and Jesus that we can say that what is said about Jesus can be said about you. And so if you're a Christian, what God says to you today is with you, I am well pleased. Aren't those sweet words? I, I, I am convinced that our anxieties, our insecurities, our hang-ups, our worries, our fears are largely the result very often for very many of us because we didn't get the approval that we've been longing for. We have wanted all our lives for mom or dad to say, with you I'm well pleased. And we didn't hear it. You've longed so much for your husband or wife to say, I'm pleased with you, and you haven't heard it. You want your teacher, you want your boss to say, with you, I'm well pleased, and you don't hear it, and your heart aches, and you feel unappreciated, and you feel insignificant, and you feel lost. Friends, if you want approval from any of those individuals that I've just mentioned, let me just tell you that the approval you need the most is from your Heavenly Father. And if you are trusting in Jesus, you have it. He says to you, with you, because you believe in Jesus, I'm well pleased with you. And that's a status before God that will never be taken away.
and that is a status that we can build our lives on. And we have the great privilege now, as we have seen Jesus introduced to us, to go out and introduce others to Him. What a privilege it is to be able to tell people about this good news. So we will pick up next Sunday, God willing, with Mark 1, verse 12, and look to the Lord to bless our hearts as we go through this gospel. Lord, we're grateful to You for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You are everything that we long for in a Savior and more. And I pray through this study, open our minds, open our hearts, give us greater thankfulness to You, greater love for You, greatest devotion to You, Lord. For those who don't even know You, Lord, convert them through this study, I pray. Bless it as we go through this gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.